0: Welcome to week 10 of our series looking at what Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians has to teach us about keeping on going through tough and challenging times. If you remember from last time, we looked didn't we, at how Paul sought to encourage the Thessalonians and I guess by implication us today with a whole hope of what's to come. In short, if you recall, we can grieve with hope And we can live with purpose because right now Jesus is with the Father, but he's not gone forever. At the end of time, he is going to return. And every human being, both those who love Jesus and those who hate Jesus and all those in between, will be resurrected. We will all, each and every one of us, stand before the living God to give an account for our lives. And although a pretty terrifying prospect for many... Judgment need hold no fear whatsoever for those of us who are in Christ. Because on that day, Jesus will heal and renew every one of his followers and every square inch of the earth. In a nutshell, that is what we believe about the future. Jesus will come back. Resurrection judgment, recreation. Now as this time round we move into the next chapter, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul really builds on all of this and uses it to urge us to confront our mortality, to stare in the face, to grapple with it, to deal with it and then to live accordingly. I want us to pick it up in verse 1, we're going to Walk slowly through these verses, stopping every now and again to just draw on some of the truths of what Paul writes. Verse one then. Now, concerning how and when all of this, all this stuff about the future will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. Which, let's be honest... It's a bit frustrating, isn't it? Because we're kind of interested in when and how all of this will happen. I mean, there's so much speculation and different views out there and it'd be really helpful to have some answers. But if you read Mark's gospel, you'll see that Jesus himself says, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the son of man, not even Jesus himself. The only one who knows is the father in heaven. So if Jesus doesn't know, then maybe we should move on from all this speculation. And so as we read on, it's perhaps not surprising that Paul reframes the whole question. Instead of focusing in on when and how all of this stuff's going to happen, he sets out to answer, what will it be like? And most importantly, how then should we live in the meantime? And really, those are the questions I want us to dwell on today. So first of all then what will it be like? Well four things we see in the verses that follow. First of all it's going to be unexpected. Verse 2, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. It's like one minute everyone's consumed with the busyness of day-to-day life then all of a sudden completely out of the blue, Jesus will return. It's unexpected. Secondly, it's also unescapable. Verse three, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin and there will be no escape. Like a woman, nine months pregnant, whose waters break, at that point, there is no escape. (laughs) There is no going back. The baby is coming, whether you like it or not. There is no way out. And that... It's what the Lord's return will be like. It's going to be unescapable. Thirdly, it's also going to be universal. Back in chapter 4 and verse 16, uh, Paul wrote this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. This will be universally, simultaneously experienced all over the earth. But although universal, It will also be uniquely personal. Every single one, both the living and the dead, will be impacted by it for all eternity. So what will it be like? It will be unexpected. It will be unescapable. It will be universal. And then fourthly, it will be unsurprising. Verse 4, but you... Aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. In other words, if we are followers of Jesus, we are not in the dark about all of this. It it shouldn't come as a surprise to us. We we don't know exactly when this will happen, but we know it will. So, although the moment of Jesus' return will be unexpected, we are still expecting it. And for those in the light, this isn't a scary prospect. We're going to look forward to Jesus' return with hope and excitement. And really, to this end... Paul sets out to answer what, for him, is the most pressing question arising from all of this. Namely, how then should we live in the meantime? And very quickly, I want to share with you three things that I think Paul emphasises about how we should live in the meantime. First of all, those who are waiting expectantly for the Lord's return are to live lives that are in stark contrast to the people around us. Verse 6. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed. So Paul here is contrasting daytime people with nighttime people. And I know it's a bit of a caricature, but for the purpose of Paul's illustration here, nighttime people are asleep and drunk. They're lethargic, they're apathetic, they're out of control. The the mantra of society back then and now is really, if it feels good, do it. There's no thought of long-term consequences. But by contrast... Daytime people are wide awake and clear-headed. They're vigilant. They're on guard. They're self-controlled. Daytime people know how to enjoy life as an act of worship to God, but they're awake. They're alert. They're self-disciplined. They know when to say no. It's like because we have our mindset set on eternity, the way that we live will be different. The contrast with people who don't share our hope will be like night and day. So there's to be contrast. Secondly, we're to live combatively. Verse eight, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence or the hope of our salvation. Paul's saying we have to fight like a soldier to live as daytime people, meaning it won't just naturally happen because the magnetic pull to the world is just too strong. If we don't fight, we'll just end up getting sucked into living like the people around us who don't have the hope that we do. Now, Just by way of a quick aside, I think it is worth pointing out here the link between faith, love and hope that if you remember Paul mentioned way back in chapter one, verse three, faith is effectively taking God at his word. You believe and you act out what you believe. You live as though Jesus is Lord, even when the teachings of Jesus don't make sense to you or contradict the way you prefer to live. Love is, among other things, self-sacrifice for the good of another. And hope isn't kind of this wishful thinking or blind optimism. No, hope is the absolute expectation of all things working together for good based on the character of God, based on the reality of who God is. And this is our armour in the fight. We fight with faith and love and hope. We fight doubt and unbelief and cynicism and the temptation to throw in the towel and give up. We fight all of that with faith. We fight hate and anger and vengeance and bitterness and greed. We, We fight all of that with love and we fight despair and anxiety and fear and worry. With hope. We fight with faith, love, and hope. And so Paul's saying that following Jesus is a fight. It's a battle, it's hard, it's scary, it's really difficult at times. What's easy is to just drift unthinkingly into living like the people around us. But following Jesus demands that we fight. And as Paul puts it in another one of his letters, it's actually a good fight. It's a fight that is so worth it because of what's at stake. Verse 9, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So here's the big idea. As we fight with faith, love and hope, the road we're on, is not heading towards receiving the anger of God in judgment. No, we're heading towards salvation. So when Jesus returns, we know for sure we will be saved, not because of our performance, but because of Jesus. It's like Jesus changes the whole trajectory of our lives. Those who place their hope in him are not heading for destruction anymore, but life with him forever. Or in the Words of John Piper, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life isn't speeding away from you. No, your life is actually fast approaching. However, if you're not a follower of Jesus, wherever you're at, it's it's great you're here. But can we just be honest? This is a scary passage, isn't it? There's no way around it. I'm not going to try and Sugarcoat this or try and explain it away. Everything I've just said is how it is. One day you will stand before the God who made everything, and you'll be forced to give an account to answer for your life, and the trajectory that you have been on in this life will be continued on into eternity. If you choose Not to follow Jesus in this life, then let's be honest, it kind of follows that it's fair that you would spend eternity away from him in what the Bible calls hell, which is an absolutely terrifying prospect. But it doesn't have to be, because in the language of this passage, you can be saved. You can be saved from wrath and destruction and two, a life of knowing Jesus. I love what it says in verse 10 here. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So it's not just that we avoid destruction. It's way more than that. It's way better than that. It's that we may live with Jesus that is the way to true life. It's the way to peace and security and love and acceptance, to meaning, to purpose. All those things that I think all of us deep down crave are found completely and uniquely in Jesus. And the route to this salvation is simply repentance and faith in Jesus you repent you, you turn away from living your way you turn to living the way of Jesus and you put your faith your belief your trust your life your living into the reality of Jesus death and resurrection which means thirdly we can then live with immense comfort verse 11 so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are Already doing. Look, this really isn't intended to be a heavy passage. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is phenomenally good news that this is something you look forward to, that this is something you encourage one another with. Look, don't forget death is not the end. Jesus is coming back and we're going to live with him forever in a recreated world. And so, live as though that day is coming. Live in contrast to the people around you. Live combatively. Live comforted. Now, before I wrap all of this up, very quickly, I do want to return to what I think is an incredibly provocative phrase that was tucked away in verse 3 that I think we could very easily just kind of gloss over and miss. Paul there refers to people saying everything is peaceful and secure or everything is peaceful and safe. Now peace and safety was this stock first century description of the Roman Empire. Rome's claim was that as it conquered the world it brought peace and safety to its subjects and in many respects that was true that the world really had never seen anything quite like it before it was stunning in its reach and power and sophistication and thessalonica was certainly profiting from being part of the roman empire it was this rich flourishing epicenter of commerce and culture so much so there was a temple to caesar slap bang in the middle of the city where people would flock to worship caesar as the son of god and here's the thing when you live in a safe prosperous thriving city i think it's easy to think that it will last forever It's very easy to get sucked into the apathy, the materialism, the unhealthy focus on now. It's easy to put your hope for peace and security into the things your society does, into your job, your health, your education, your next vacation. Like, if I could just get into this career, if I could just marry that person, if I could just go on that holiday, if I could just own this thing, move to this house, or if I just, whatever it is for you then I'll have peace, then I'll be secure. But I think one of the things that COVID this past year has exposed is the lack of hope, the lack of safety, the lack of security that all of those things provide. When we've most needed peace and security and safety, well, I think we've discovered the hard way, haven't we? That they aren't found in the pursuit of those things. Ultimately, peace and security is found in Jesus and in the life to come. It's not found in more money or more stuff or more pleasure or more experience or that relationship. It's found in the life of God. It's found where Jesus is king and everything is under his rule and his reign. And so Paul's saying, listen, I know the empire is great. I know you've never seen anything like it before, but please don't fall for the propaganda because the real true peace and security and safety is not found in the empire. It's not found in your culture. It's found in Jesus and his kingdom. And so for us today, please let's not unthinkingly drift back into living how we did pre-COVID. My simple appeal to you would be, won't you allow the last 12 months to wake you up to reality, to face you up to your mortality, to show the futility of the things that you were perhaps putting your hope and confidence in before and to resolve to live differently because the day of the Lord's return will come. It's not a myth, it's real and it's true and so really whatever you do don't get sucked into the propaganda of our culture don't look to the world for peace and security and safety so much good stuff so much legitimately for us to enjoy but don't get sucked in don't fall asleep don't get drunk don't lose your self-control don't live in the darkness wake up sober up Live in the light of what this passage teaches. Live in contrast to the people around you. Live combatively, live comforted, and then encourage and build each other up with these truths.